Amen. Hey, Salt Company, how we doing? Good? Awesome. Hey, like Jordan said, my name is Drake. Uh, excited to be with you guys tonight. Like he said, I am the Associate Director for the Salt Company at Michigan State. Really pumped to be here. We don't have uh, summer salt because we're lame, uh, so this is awesome just to be able to uh, see a lot of college students. Hey, if you, if you want to be proactive, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, that is where we will be camped out in our time together tonight. Excited to be continuing the series you guys started last week, Connecting the Dots, where we are looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, and while you guys are turning there, I want to start uh, with some things that I've gotten wrong my entire life. I, I'm told we may be able to have uh, the pictures on there, uh, up here on the screen, but here's the deal, is TikTok, social media, and BuzzFeed articles uh, have enlightened my eyes to show me things I've gotten wrong my entire life. You know the trend where it's like, I was today's years old when I learned this? Uh, that, that is one, one of my favorite trends on TikTok. So we'll see. Do we have the pictures? Is this okay? Okay, the first one uh, that, we, that I didn't know for a long time. Let's see if we can get it up there. Is it up there? Yes. Okay, the banana. Okay, you guys know you're supposed to peel the banana from the bottom. Do we understand this? Do we know this? That's what monkeys do. And so we're supposed to learn from the monkeys, I guess. Do not, you're not supposed to peel it from the top, okay? You learn something new every single day. We got, we got a few more, though, things I have never known. Okay, this pop tab. Do we say pop or soda here? Pop. pop. Thank you. That's great. Michigan, bunch of heathens, okay? Um, but pop. The, the actual tab right there, the little pop can, that is supposed to hold your straw, which I don't know who uses straws these days, but uh, that's what it's supposed to be used for. Never knew that. Got it wrong my entire life. Uh, another one very similar. Um, yeah, okay, the cooking pot. That thing, first of all, I just, got, I just got married, and so my, my idea of dinner before was like 10 pizza rolls on a plate, but now my wife makes things for me too, and uh, that is supposed to hold your spoon, so you don't need like a napkin or anything, which is incredible. Never knew that. Uh, hey, I think we have maybe two more, maybe two more. Okay, Chinese takeout. Big fan of Chinese. Okay, so you don't actually just have to eat it from the actual container. It spreads out into a plate for you. Never knew it, okay? That's another thing. Last one. I'll make this one quick. Okay, this is for you ladies, mainly. I don't know why you would get water at Starbucks, but maybe you do. Um, the lid at Starbucks is actually designed to be a coaster for your drinks, whether it's coffee or whether it's ice water, whatever it is. It's supposed to ideally fit as a coaster, okay? Crazy. I hope you learned something new today. That, that's why I'm here. Um, but hey, no, here's the deal. Why do I start? Why am I telling you guys things that I, like, have never learned before, things I got wrong my entire life, things I never realized? Because tonight we are going to be looking at a story in the Bible that I got wrong, or at least misunderstood, my entire life, okay? We are going to be looking at the story of Noah and the ark, where if you just ask some people in America, hey, name me three stories in the Bible, 99% of the time the story of Noah and the ark is going to make the list. Uh, but if you're like me who grew up in the church, uh, you've seen the story of Noah and the ark, and we've turned it into like this cute little bedtime story and we've made it rhyme like in come the animals two by two the hippopotamus and the kangaroo and we've turned it like into this weird little cute bedtime story thing where it's basically just a floating zoo with captain noah and the gang um but in reality when we look at this when we read the story for actually what it's worth we come to a very different depiction when we when we gaze above the waterline we see salvation and animals and fresh starts and yet when we look below, when we gaze below the waterline, we see things like 
mankind's wickedness and the judgment of God. It's still an incredible story where we see God do unbelievable things through very common people, but we will get it wrong if all we think of it as some cute, cuddly story that we can paint on children's classrooms. So tonight I'm hoping to give us a fresh perspective of what the story of Noah and the ark is. And this story, Noah and the ark, it tends to bring up a lot of questions for us, like, why in the world would a good God do something like flood the earth? Or was this like a local flood with just like the known world at the time? Or was this like all of the world was flooded? Or uh, another one, how many animals could have actually fit on this ark? Which, just to get that question out of the way, uh, most people estimate 15,000 to about 50,000. Most settling about 35,000. Uh, but that just brings up more questions, right? Like where do the animals go to the bathroom? I don't know. Who was designed to pick it up? Bigger problem, right? Or my personal question that I would ask Noah is, bro, why did you let mosquitoes onto the ark, man? Like, that was just a missed opportunity for you, mosquitoes. Just the worst thing in the entire world. And see, all these are very, very valid questions, but it's not primarily what the text is going to show us. You see, what the text is primarily going to show us is about the heart and character of God, and ultimately, it's going to show us a picture of Jesus. Just like every other story in the Bible, Jesus is going to take center stage here in this story. And to get there, here's what we're going to see today. We have four chapters to cover, and I have four things for you. So if you're a note taker, hopefully this will help. But they all start with F. F. Sin filled the earth. Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah was faithful to the Lord. And then we will see how Noah's story and ultimately his failure actually foreshadows Jesus's Victory. Sound good? All right. First thing, sin filled the earth. Last week you guys saw Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. Uh, and then we flip over a couple of pages and we wind up here in Genesis 6. And simply put, it has been a complete downward spiral for humanity in that little page flip. Okay? And let, let's see that and we're going to pick it up here in Genesis 6 verse 5. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 6 verse 5. These couple of verses are some of the saddest in the Bible. Look what it says. It says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so Adam and Eve rejected God, right? Like rather than reflect the goodness of God in his image, they actually chose to instead rebel against him. And that rejection was actually planted deep into the heart of mankind, so much so that it says that when God looks down at his creation, all he sees is the wickedness of mankind. And so rather than the mandate that we just saw to be fruitful and multiply and have the glory of God fill the earth, instead, a page over, and we see that sin has actually filled the earth. Right, like the earth isn't filled with the glory of God, it's filled with sin. Instead of mankind cultivating life, mankind is actually now taking life. Instead of mankind reflecting God, they have rivaled against him. Instead of mankind adoring a beautiful and loving creator, they have abandoned him. Simply put, they, they wanted the kingdom without the king. Notice something that would be easy to glance over is uh, chapter 5. It's a genealogy. And so only the super righteous and religious kids usually read it. But it's easy to skip from chapter 4, right, like Cain and Abel, to chapter 6, where we find ourselves and think, man, there's probably a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand people on earth at this point. 
But most scholars actually agree that there has actually probably been about 1,600 years from the time of Adam and Eve until right now here in Genesis 6. And so if we think about the mandate to be fruitful and multiply and how long these people were living, most people are estimating that there are millions of people on the earth at the time. Like a conservative estimate is actually probably 750 million people. Okay, so this wasn't just like an isolated little family that had run into some wickedness. No, sin has actually captured and consumed the human race like a widespread disease. So much so, in fact, I look back at verse 5 with me. It says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, aka all these millions of people, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so sin filled the earth on a surface level, but also at a deep heart level. That every single part of human nature has been tainted and corrupted by sin. Right? Like this is what overall, just what the Bible teaches about sin, that we are corrupt at a heart level. And that wasn't just true for the people of Noah's days, but it's actually true for us here today in Cedar Rapids on Thursday. The fall, what we see in Genesis 3, the fall has actually affected us all. You see, look at what Paul says in Romans 3 when he thinks about the effects of the fall on humanity. Romans 3 Verse 10 says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not even one. You see, this is the condition of the human heart. If you're coming in here today wondering uh, where human, humans are, this is the condition of the human heart. Uh, one of my favorite pastors, Matt Chandler, he says this, He says that the heart of the problem, or the core issue, the heart of the problem, is the problem of the heart. That ever since the fall, we as humans are sinners at a heart level. And with that, with our rebellion against God, a perfect and sovereign and loving creator, the only, like, seemingly appropriate response would be for God's wrath and God's anger. And yet, I want you to see what the text says. Look in verse 6. It says that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And so look at the heart of God here. What we see is that God is heartbroken over sin. That word, grieved to the heart, used there in verse 6, is a specific Hebrew word used to describe what an abandoned wife would actually feel like. Like after promises made, after souls knit together, boom, husband leaves. That is what the text implies about how God feels towards us when we sin. Heartbroken, grieved, and sin needs payment, and God had every right for judgment for every single person. But look what he does. Let's look again at verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's going to be the second thing that we see tonight, is Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor with the Lord. And that word favor can actually just as easily be translated to as grace. Like Noah found grace, or better yet, God's grace rested upon Noah. And notice a few things here. That in the midst of what God sees in the world, in the midst of the evilness and wickedness of mankind, God chose to save Noah and his family. And why? Like, what was so special about Noah? 
Was it because of what verse 9 says, right? Like it says that he was a righteous and blameless man in his generation. Was that it? Was Noah just so good? Was Noah so good looking? Was he so much better? He was varsity Christian level, right? Compared to these JV Christians. No. Like that's not what happened. We actually see, you know, like he was still born a sinner. And we actually see some pretty messed up things in his heart in chapter 9. So that couldn't be it. I think it's crucial to see the word found there. Noah found favor. If you have a Bible, I would circle that. Noah found favor. He didn't earn it, right? Like it wasn't because he was so much better than everyone. No, Hebrews 11 says that Noah found favor and was seen as righteous because of his faith. In other words, God didn't save Noah because he was righteous. Noah became righteous because he received God's offer of salvation. You tracking with me? Like, like grace comes first, righteousness comes second. Grace first, righteousness second. It's important that we understand that people in the Old Testament were saved just as we are saved here today. Now, in the New Testament, by grace through faith. Let me say it this way. Is that Noah believed that God would send a Savior? We believe that he has. Like Noah looked forward to the cross, we look back at it. The directions were different, but the object is the same. We're all pointed back. Our gaze is upon Jesus. It's his life, his death, and resurrection that actually saves us from our sin. Listen, thousands of years later, we see that the heart of God is still the same. In a world filled with sin and wickedness, God desires to show great mercy. Right? Again, it's not because he's looking down for those varsity Christians. No, it's because he is gracious and kind, and therefore nobody is out of the reach of God's grace. It is a free gift to those who would come to him. That is good news for Noah, and that is the good news for us today. And with that super long intro, we're about to go sailing. Okay, you guys ready to look at this boat? All right. Genesis 6, verse 9. We're going to read all the way down to 22, so buckle up here. It says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side and make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but, that's a great word, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. And of every living thing of the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They should be male and female. Of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And look at verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And so this is the part of the narrative that when we think about the story of Noah and the ark, this is what we typically think about, right? Like God says, hey, I'm going to send a flood onto this earth. So Noah, you're going to build an ark. And when you do that, I will save 
you and your family. And God also instructs him to get ever, two of every single type of animal and bring it on the ark with him. Don't ask me how he did that. I'm not sure if he had a whistle. I'm not sure if animals were on speed dial, okay? I'm not totally sure about it. But what I do know is that if we can believe in Genesis 1 that God could create the earth out of nothing, we can believe in Genesis 6 that God could move some animals to a specific location, okay? That is light work for the Lord of the universe, amen? There we go, amen. See, that last verse in the text is key. Uh, If you guys have been taking notes, you've seen that sin has filled the earth. You've seen that Noah found favor with the Lord. But the third thing that we'll see and where we're spending a majority of our time is that Noah was faithful to the Lord. So Noah found favor, but then Noah was faithful to the Lord. And it goes back to verse 22. Noah did all that God commanded him. Noah did everything that was commanded of him. That's actually a phrase that's going to be repeated multiple times throughout these chapters. He was overall, Noah was someone chosen by God out of grace who just faithfully responded to that call. Right? Like Noah was faithful under the circumstances. He was trusting in God and he was pushing all of his chips in on the promises of God. And you'll notice Noah actually doesn't say a single word during this whole narc, narc, Ark narrative, narc, what am I talking about? Ark narrative, okay? Scripture doesn't record him saying anything. He just listened to God, and he trusted in the promises of God. And specifically for this section, I think that we're going to see Noah's faithfulness in three different areas. Noah walked in obedience, Noah warned others, and he waited on God. He walked in obedience, he warned others, and he waited on God. Let's see the first one. He walked in obedience. All right, if you think your job or your summer internship is difficult, think about this assignment that the Lord just gave Noah, okay? He's like, Noah, I'm going to need you to build an ark, okay, brother? It's going to take you, uh, you know, about 100 years to make, working six days a week. Uh, It's going to be about a football field and a half in length. It's going to be about five stories high and 75 feet wide. And Noah did exactly as the Lord commanded him, without question, obeyed every single command. See, if he didn't, the boat would sink, right? Like if he didn't put the pitch exactly where he was supposed to put the pitch, water would get in. If he didn't build it to the exact dimensions, not every single animal or everything would be able to fit on this boat. But just imagine what the people would have thought of, of Noah. First of all, there's a good argument from Scripture. I'm not going to base my life on it, but there's a good argument uh, that the world had actually never even seen rain before the flood. Okay, so, so the fact that Noah would, would be building an ark would be like those modern doomsday people building a time machine on the front yard. They would have been like, this dude is crazy. Okay, but then you even just think of Noah's kids, right? Like Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? I mean, first you go to school and everybody makes fun of your name, but then you come back home and your dad is building an ark in the middle of the desert. Like they would have been like, this guy is absolutely nuts. Like, and this is what is happening here. And yet Noah walked in obedience because he had a real faith that resulted in real obedience. Noah did all that God commanded him. Noah did all that God commanded him. Noah did all that God commanded him. So let me ask you guys, Saul Company, is there anything in your life that you need to obey even though it might be difficult? Even if the watching world around you might be like, that guy is weird or that girl is weird. Is there anything that you might need to step into and faithfully obey? You see, for some of you guys, man, maybe for you, it's you should be taking actually less classes, like not finishing school early so that you can actually be a leader at Saul Company and be able to disciple more people in college where your life is really going to matter. 
For others of you, some of you guys need to give up your summer plans for next year, your ideal summer internship, to give up your summer to go overseas with a salt company and reach people who will never hear the gospel. For others of you, you should be thinking about giving up your first two years after college to go on a church plant and to help reach a new people with a new college ministry. And for some of you, you guys should break it off with a current boyfriend or girlfriend. I'll be the one to say, you should just break it off. Because even though the world is telling you, oh, that's a great relationship, you know deep down that it is not God-honoring at all. And so maybe the question you need to be asking yourself as you leave through those doors tonight is what do I need to do to radically and faithfully be obedient to the Lord Jesus? Like, what do I need to do to be like Noah who walked obediently with God to say, I have done all that God has commanded of me? Real faith results in real obedience. But not only that, but Noah's faithfulness was also seen because he warned others. So he walked in obedience, but he also warned others. Second Peter 2.5 Uh, When Peter was writing uh, that chapter, uh, he was reflecting on the flood and he called Noah a preacher of righteousness. And although we aren't given like the exact content of what Noah preached, we can vaguely assume, right, like he was telling people to repent and turn towards God and that there was just one way for salvation. For 100 years, it was the same message. For 100 years, the building of this ark, right, like every single hammer blow, every single pounding of the nail symbolized a call for repentance and a warning of the coming judgment. And listen, Saul Company, we have the same message. We have the same message. Jesus is the only way to salvation. It's his life, death, and resurrection that saves us. Right, like Buddha can't save, Allah can't save, doing good works and praying to Mary can't save. Only Jesus can save and only Jesus does. You see, our role today is very similar to Noah's. Receive God's grace, walk in obedience, and then point other people to salvation. Right? Like we were made to exist in a relationship with God and point other people to that relationship. And listen, God's judgment will one day come again, and you guys have time. In your very limited time, you guys have time to transform eternity. And guess what? I believe it. Because I have seen firsthand for the past three to four years of God using very common people to do unbelievably extraordinary things in East Lansing. And maybe you won't have a hundred years or so, right, to preach, to be a preacher of righteousness like Noah, but odds are you have about 80. You have about 80 years on this earth. And there was an article that came out uh, a few years ago that said that if you meet just two to three people uh, per day over your 80-year lifespan, that you're going to come in contact with about 60,000 to 80,000 people in your life. 60,000 to 80,000 people in your life. For reference, Kinnick Stadium holds about 70,000. Jack Shrive, 62,000. Are there more Iowa fans in here, by the way, for Wesworth? Yeah. Wasn't sure. Hey, roll clones. <clears throat> hey, Hey, okay, but let's envision this together, okay? Let's envision this together. <laughs> you, come, you come to the end of your life, and you walk into the stadium of your choice. You walk to midfield, standing on the logo. All the lights are shining bright on you, and you're surrounded by the 80,000 people that you met in your lifetime. In that stadium, completely full, every single seat filled was one opportunity that you had to influence the trajectory of someone's life and tell them about the insatiable thirst of their souls that only Jesus can satisfy. Your life will impact thousands upon thousands, which will in turn impact millions of people. 
Will you, like Noah, be a preacher of righteousness? Will you warn others? Will you tell them about the greatest news in the entire world? Judgment's coming, yes, but Jesus made a way. You can get on the ark, right? Like, you can be saved. God has made a way. He doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so which of those 80,000 people do you, next week, this week, leaving this room, need to go and just talk to this week about Jesus? God wants to advance the gospel through you. You have a very brief time to transform eternity, and I believe you can do it. And so Noah walked in obedience, Noah warned others, and then Noah showed his faithfulness because Noah waited. Look at chapter 7, verse 6 with me. Chapter 7, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old, goodness, when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the water of the flood came upon the earth. Okay, so Noah... And his whole family, right, all eight of them, they get onto uh, this boat. They're, they all finally get onto this boat. They're sitting together, finally, with all their pets, you know. And uh, then they get in, they sit down, and nothing happens, right? Like sun up, sun down, seven days, nothing happens. No rain, no flood, no voice from God saying, hold up, something's wrong. Like he just waited for seven days. Could you imagine the stress that Noah would feel like in this moment, all eyes on him? That would be the worst moment in the world for me. I'm sure his wife was leaning over to him like, babe, are you sure he didn't say build a park or like just paint a piece of art, brother? You know, are you sure he said build an ark? Did you actually hear from God? I'm sure those were the longest seven days of his life. I'm sure those were the longest seven days of the hundred years or so that he was building this ark. And yet, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the things going on, he was trusting in the certainty, certainty of the promise of God. And then finally, we see that the flood comes, the skies opened up, the foundations from underneath started pouring out water, and we see this in Genesis 7, verse 17. It says the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The, wor- the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep and all flesh died that moved on the earth Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And so the flood comes. And completely destroys every single thing. And this is where the storyline turns south a little bit, right? Like we talked about earlier, everything above the waterline was salvation. Everything below the waterline, complete devastation. We see this is no kid's story like what we saw growing up. Everyone is completely destroyed. Noah tried to warn people for 100 years and nobody listened. Everyone perished. 
And just think about Noah during his flood. Like the ark didn't have a steering wheel. The ark didn't have a rudder. The ark didn't even have windows except for one at the very top so that he could see the skies. Noah was not in control. God was. Noah had to wait and trust God in all of this. You see, to walk with God, it requires us to wait on God's timing, not our own. It's realizing that God is in control of our life, not us. You see, Noah couldn't see the circumstances that were surrounding him, but he could trust in the certainty of the promises of God. And we can have faith just like Noah because God is the one driving the ship of our lives, not us. It was true for Noah and it's true for us. And after an entire year, a total of 307 days on this ark, we can pick it up in chapter 8, verse 13. We're flying through the story. But chapter 8, verse 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. And so the water dries up, right, like Noah sees the ground is dry, but pay attention, he doesn't immediately get out. He waits another two months to leave this big boat. Guys, I drove seven hours here today, and I was basically out of my car during a rolling stop just so I can get out of a seven-hour car ride. This guy, Noah and his family, they were in the boat for a long time, and they just had to wait with their pets for another two months in this big boat because Noah was waiting on God, and he wanted to do exactly what God was telling him to do. Noah waited. You see, Noah found favor with God, and then he was faithful to God. He walked in obedience, he warned others, and then he waited on God. And the final thing that we're going to see today is how Noah's story, including his failures, actually foreshadows Jesus' victory. Look what happens right after Noah's family gets off the ark in verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and, offering, and offered burnt offerings onto the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And so Noah gets off the ark and immediately he makes a burnt offering to the Lord. And yet right away, based off of God's response, we can tell that Noah and the ark isn't a going to be a permanent solution. Look at verse 21 again. It says, When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That sentence doesn't make any sense to me. And it wouldn't make much sense to most of the readers. Right? Like you'd expect him to say, hey, I'm not going to destroy the earth again because I know that man's going to do so much better next time. Right? Like we started over with Noah and his family. They seem great. Like I'm not going to destroy the earth again because man is going to do so much better. But that's not what he says. Instead, he says, hey, I know that man is still evil, so I won't destroy the earth again because I'll have to pursue a different solution. You see, we see that the, the ark was not a permanent solution. We read on in chapter 9 that just like Adam fell in the, gar in the garden, Noah fell also. We read on in chapter 9 that he becomes the first recorded drunk in the Bible. It's a crazy story. Go read it on your own. But this is what you absolutely need to hear tonight. 
is that while the ark saved mankind from the flood, it did not save mankind from sin. While the ark saved mankind from the flood, it did not save mankind from the sin because it could not fix the heart problem that we saw earlier. Guys, and this is where Jesus enters the picture. This is where he takes center stage. This is where all of the Bible is focused to, including this story. Guys, see, the, pic- the, the story, the picture of Noah and the ark is just a picture of our story, where we are in a world that is filled with sin. Sin has covered the earth and is at a deep heart level in every single human. And just like this story, sin deserves punishment. And one day, God is going to serve that punishment again, but not, this time not with the flood, but with fire. But the good news of the Bible is that we no longer have a temporary solution with the ark, but a permanent solution in Jesus. You see, like Noah, Jesus will obey God even though no one understands him. And through his obedience, he also will provide an ark of salvation. See, because long after Noah, approximately 2,000 years ago, another wooden structure was made. You see, like Noah took nail and wood, so did the Roman guards when they made a cross to hang Jesus on. And he said that if anyone would trust in me, their life will be saved because God's wrath for your sin will be poured upon him. See, our sins have been forgiven. They have been wiped away, but not because of a flood, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. See, one scholar says it like this. He says, like Noah's ark, Jesus will shield us from the storm of God's wrath and lift us up above the waters of judgment. But unlike Noah, that ark that shields us from the wrath of God will not be made out of gopher wood, but with his own torn flesh, will be lifted above the waters of judgment because Jesus will be submerged in them. The last thing that we'll see is verse 12. This is the Noahic covenant. It says this, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This is what we call the Noahic covenant, covenant really the, the first kind of identified covenant within the Bible. And there's so much more we could say here, but I just want to show you, because at the rainbow, what we see is a sign of this covenant, and it should serve as a reminder of God's grace and his mercy, but also how he cannot deal with sin, that he has a righteous hatred for sin, and, will, and it will not go unpunished forever. See, God provided a way of salvation for Noah in the ark, and God has provided a way of salvation for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ark. He is the refuge. Just like there was one door to get onto the ark, Jesus is the only door that we can go through to enter into salvation. The door that if anyone enters, they will be saved. And so if you don't call yourself a Christian tonight, I invite you to get onto the ark. It is not too late. Jesus has plenty of room for you. And if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in this room, who do you need to tell to get on the ark? Who do you need to tell and rescue to get onto the ark? Let me pray for us. I'll invite the band back up. Jesus, so often I just feel like the, the parable of the, the man who just stumbled upon the treasure. And that's what I feel like as a believer. Lord, I'm thankful that I have stumbled upon the treasure 
of your goodness and your grace. And I'm thankful that, Lord, um, you rescued Noah and his family. Lord, that you have rescued uh, me, that you have rescued so many of the people uh, in, in this room. And it's not a, a temporary solution in Christ, but it is a permanent solution, Lord, that we can know confidently Lord, that we will be with you uh, in paradise one day because you have saved us from your wrath and your judgment. Lord, I love that, that phrase that you felt grieved to the heart because you saw what sin was doing to mankind. You saw what sin was doing to us. And Lord, you chose to step down from the throne room of heaven and to enter into this world, Lord, to save us. Lord, you didn't... You didn't have a, a wavering head that would just turn the other way with sin, but you actually stepped into our space. Lord, you came down from the throne room of heaven to ultimately save us. Lord, you were the one that was submerged into the waters of judgment so that we could be lifted high above them. Lord, we love you. Let us sing praises knowing that we have a God who has done that for us. In your name we pray. Amen.